0: out of the English Standard Version. I, uh, I, I memorized Romans, and the problem is I memorized it in two different versions, and, and I know we've had people say, what version, what is he reading? Because it's never the one that I'm looking at. It's always different. Sorry about that. That's just a little of my ADD. Or actually, if you live long enough, they come up with these versions, and, and you memorize it in one, and it changes. and ah! So as a church... Over the years, once we get out of Romans, we will definitely be focusing on using the ESV version, English Standard Version, and uh, I'll read out of that this morning, so hopefully uh, you all can follow along. Uh, Chapter uh, 7, verse 13, I'll start there and pick up there as we go into 14. Paul writes, did that which is good then produce death in me? He's speaking of the law. By no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sin beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, or of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do not do what I want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now no longer For I see, uh, no, yeah, I'm sorry. I've got this all memorized in a different version, so I'm even confused here. uh, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Uh, the title of this message is Deep Doo. and uh, I want to give credit to Jeff Miller because um, he, uh, he's the one that came up with that. I heard him preach this message once, and I just thought that was, that's perfect. That's what it is, although I think I added the deep. He just said doo and uh, But this is Paul saying, I don't do what I want to do, and I do the very things that I do not want to do. And I think often so many of us would look at this and and say, yes, why am I finding myself in deep doo-doo, doing the things I don't want to do and not doing the things that I do want to do? Now, Paul, before we jump into this, there's a There's a broader context to this. There's there's several chapters before this where Paul has been explaining things. So let me just do a quick review. Chapter 1 through 3, or mid 3, Paul says, Hey, look, everyone has sinned. Everyone has a problem. We're all under condemnation. Then you go mid 3 through the end of chapter 5, and Paul says, But there's a great solution justification, this big fancy word that simply means Christ, if we have faith in Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, his blood, and resurrection. Jesus says, I will make you just as if you've never sinned, justify you, so you'll be clean, pure, righteous. My death, my blood will pay the price, wash away the sin, justification. Then he goes into chapter 6, and Paul starts to talk about this idea of sanctification, and, and that means, okay, now that Christ has justified us, and we're set apart, now let's live for him. Let's start living this out, what Christ has worked in us, justification. And then Paul said in chapter 6, which leads us into 7, he says, hey, we're no longer under the law. Well, that was way confusing. Like, what do you mean we're no longer under the law? And so chapter 7 begins this explanation about the role of, of the law of God, the moral law of God. What, what role does that have? And, and, and Paul goes on to explain how the law does not have the power to make you and I, or gives us, it does not give us the power to follow the laws. It's just simply this reflection or standard that God has made known to us. This is the law, and it just points out when anyone does not measure up to it. But there's no power in knowing the law. There isn't. You can know all the Ten Commandments, but it does not give you power to keep the Ten Commandments. And that's frustrating if you, if you really thought that the law would actually give you the power to do it, because it doesn't give you the power to do it. And Paul wrote about that, and then he gets into this p- place where he says, look, this is what the law does, and it leaves us in this place of doing the things that we don't want to do and, and not doing the things that we do want to do, and it sets up seemingly one of the most frustrating struggles. Paul says wretched struggles, in the Christian life, we're doing stuff we don't want to do, and we're not doing what we want to do. Anybody get into this this past week? Anybody step into some deep doo doo this last week? Right? Anybody find themselves saying, "I can't believe I just did that again." Anybody say, I can't believe I didn't do it. Like, I I said I was going to do it. I was going to be different today. I'm going to keep this or I'm going to do that. And at the end of the day, you go, I didn't do it. I can't believe it. Paul says, wretched man that I am right? And, and, and what starts to happen is it becomes this treadmill, it feels like, of insanity. And you see it coming. You're like, no, 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 I don't want to do it. No, 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 no. no. And you're like, 119, 119, stop, stop, you know. Like 911, only the Christian version, right? 119, and you're just full-blown panic. I don't want to do this. Many of us are are white-knuckling, right? Like if if our life's like a car, we got our hands on the steering wheel and it's literally this death grip trying to make sure we don't drive off the road, trying to make sure we don't wreck our faith, trying to make sure we stay on the lane Christ has called us to. I don't know if you've ever read the book The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's a famous story um, written back in the 1800s, story of this guy, Dr. Jekyll, good guy, and and really this, this metaphorical journey, but understanding like there's this part of him that isn't evil and he wants to separate that and get that away from him and takes this potion and creates this alternative person inside of him, right, Mr. Hyde, the evil guy. And so Mr. Hyde takes all the evil and does all the evil, and, and Dr. Jekyll's asleep, and then when he wakes up, he realizes, oh my goodness, what has Mr. Hyde done? And as the story goes, uh, Mr. Hyde gets more and more powerful and, and starts to take control of his life. In fact, it was only supposed to happen when he was at night, right? So he's sleeping at night, and then during the day, Dr. Jekyll, the good guy, was around. But then all of a sudden, Mr. Hyde starts taking over during the day. And you see this growing alarm inside of Dr. Jekyll. Like, what am I going to do? And the panic. Like, this is getting out of control. It was written by Robert Louis Stevenson. Interesting, Robert Louis Stevenson grew up in a devout Christian home. Heard the Bible read to him all the time. Went to church all the time growing up. Knew the Bible was very closely connected to that. And, and he grew up at a time when the church, was, the church that he at least attended was all about hellfire, brimstone, this God that was ready to zap you if you, stood, you know, stepped out of line, if you stepped in deep doo-doo, right? It's this angry, wrathful God. And, and while there, there isn't a direct statement by Stevenson that he is writing as he thinks about Romans 7... And he actually ended up walking away from Christianity, becoming a theist. And, and I think part of it is you see this wrestling and struggle even in this book. And so there's not a direct statement where he said, yeah, I was thinking of Romans 7. But if, if, if you've grown up reading the Bible and you know Romans 7, which he did know, you can see the references. You can see the inference there because he captures the essence of what Paul is talking about, the escalating insanity of trying to stop what we're doing that's wrong and try to do what what is right and yet never being able to do it. And I think a a lot of Christians are in this place, and, and, and so many Christians live in defeat in this place, discouraged, that cry of Paul, like, wretched man that I am. Who, who's, who's ever been there in this room where you go, I cannot believe I'm here again? And, and even those outside of Christianity would look in saying, why would I want to sign up for something like this when, when it's just this wretched experience, right? I mean, that's what Paul describes here, a wretched experience, There's two realities that Paul talks about. He, he talks about this struggle and he, is ex, he explains this struggle as there is two different things going on. This, this law of evil that's in my flesh as he describes and tries to explain what's going on. So as he does and he's in this, this I'm doing what I don't want to do. And he says, no, but I confess the law is good. The law is just pointing it out again and again. I agree with the law. I'm the one that's messed up. So there's two different realities here. There's one that talks about this reality that there is a struggle with the flesh. And and before we just jump into what Paul explains, I think it's important to step out of Romans and say, is this consistent with what the Bible teaches? So if you go into Acts, we're in Romans, this is after Christ and his story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So let's go into Acts. This is where the church starts, so Acts. And then you have Romans. You have 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And you have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And then you can get into 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. You can get into 1st and 2nd Timothy. And you go into Hebrews. You can see it in James. You can see it in John. And there's parts of in Peter, and you, you get into Revelation. I mean, I, I didn't cross check every book of the New Testament from Acts to the end, but I think nearly everyone, if not every one of them, says that the reality of the Christian life is that Christians will still sin. I mean, Jesus comes and he accuses seven churches of different sins as you get into Revelation chapter 2 and 3. This sin over here in that church, this church was struggling with that, you all are struggling with this. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Galatians says it, Philippians says it. I mean, all these books say the same thing that there is still going to be a struggle with sin. Now, Paul, unfortunately, doesn't go into, which I wish, and I think every Christian w- wishes, okay, Paul, would you just stop and do a timeout here and give us a systematic theological explanation, like go deep and explain what exactly do you mean by this word and what do you mean by that word? And he doesn't. He's just writing, explaining this. And so what? I, I'm not going to try to define these things because I don't think Paul goes deep and does that. He's just explaining this experience that happens, and I'm going to stay right there, and and if you're more familiar and you've studied this passage, you're like, dude, he's just dodging all kinds of things. You're right. I'm just like, I'm not going to define it. Missed that shot. So here's the reality. There is something, even after we follow Christ, have faith in Christ, there is something in us that still has that desire. Paul calls it the flesh here, calls it different things other places. There's some kind of desire that is still there that is a part of us. That is a reality. The other reality is there is a new spiritual reality when we come to Christ, and that's what he says. I find there's a law like when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, right? That de- and then there's this other, I delight, there's a new law, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. So there's a new law in the deepest part of our souls. There's a new spiritual reality deep in here, deeper grounding us. And, and it's this idea that Paul has been explaining all along, and he started back in chapter 4. And, and you'll see these up on the screen. The, this new spiritual reality that he said, look, if, if we believe in Jesus, we are justified. If, if we follow Christ, we have peace with God. We're loved. He loved us when we were enemies. We, we now stand in grace. We are now Filled with the Holy Spirit. He says that in chapter 5. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in us, pours His love into us. We've received reconciliation to Jesus and through Jesus. Paul writes in in Romans chapter uh, 6, he's like, look, we are going to rule, right? Or chapter 5, we now rule in life. We rule over sin. We rule over death. Sin's not our master. Grace is our master. I mean, this is the new spiritual reality that is in the deepest part of our being. And he starts to say, so what is our relationship? The law keeps pointing this out. We're in this insane treadmill of, of sin, confess, sin, confess, wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. And after a time, you're like, when does this ever stop? And as you look at the new spiritual reality, it's important to step out of Romans and say, is that, is that something all of scripture teaches? And yes, As you go through Acts and you go through 1st and 2nd Corinthians and you go into Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you know, all the way through to the end, the Bible in the New Testament consistently teaches that there is a new spiritual reality for anyone who would follow Christ. Everyone gets it. Everyone has this, who has faith in Christ consistently. And so the Bible says we are saints. The Bible says we are his beloved. The Bible says you're a daughter of Christ. You're a son of Christ. We're called chosen. We're called the family of God. He says we have a future. He says that we rule with him in this, in this world. And Paul, it's interesting, even when Christians sin, Paul never actually calls someone who follows Christ a sinner. Let me say that again. Read through... All the letters of Paul, he never calls a Christian a sinner. He says, You've sinned, but he acknowledges and he never wavers from this new spiritual reality that you are now a son or daughter of God. You are a saint. You might sin, but that's not who you are. Does that make sense? And that's critical. This world, you can go on, get on the circuit of all that positive thinking. You can go around and hear all the guys that are out there, men and women who say, hey, look, you've got to change the way you think about life, and your real problem is you just got to be positive, and there's power in positive thinking. The problem is it's not rooted in any reality. You're just trying to make this up as you go along, and if I believe it hard enough, it'll become true. Well, that doesn't work. We know what that produces. That just produces this, Insanity. You can't do it but if something is true and it's true not because we believe it but just because it's true guess what the truth will begin to change our reality and God says no through Paul there is a new reality you are in Christ your identity doesn't change just because you might struggle with sin and that's critical to understand. I think we've all been there where we know, in fact, if you've come to that point, faith in Christ, that moment of salvation, right? Where God justified us. We understood that We can't do this. I, I am so tired of trying to do good and not doing it. I'm so tired of doing the very thing I don't want to do. Jesus save me, right? And we've been there, and yet then how many of us in the Christian life after that still somehow come back to that point and we're in this cycle of going, sin, confess, I can't believe it, I can't believe I did it again, I did it again, I did it again, and we're like Paul, wretched man, wretched woman that I am, who will set me free? I want to be free from this. Can't keep living like this. You know, what's interesting when you read the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Dr. Jekyll, the good guy, gets to the point, he's terrified of what's happening when Hyde takes over. Because Hyde's just this this murderous, evil person. And he's trying everything he can to somehow control Mr. Hyde, and, and the more he tries, the worse it gets, and the more powerful Hyde gets. To the point that at the end of the story, the, 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 the climax of the story is, is Dr. Jekyll finally realizing the only way to stop this is what? Does anybody remember the story? Kills himself. Isn't that interesting? Stevenson nailed it. He nailed it. The only way out of it is somebody's got to die. The tragedy of that story is there's no hope. The tragedy of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is, really, like, that's that's not the, the way forward. That's not the path forward. And yet, it's so close to the gospel because that's what Christ did, right? Christ came and he said, look, you guys are under judgment. You guys are facing death. I know how to stop the insanity. I'm going to die, and I'm going to die the death that you deserve to die, and I'm going to die once, and that's all I'll ever have to do. That's why I think Stevenson, I mean, it's so tragic, because I think, Stevenson, you're so close. Someone had to die. And that's what Paul concludes. He says, how am I ever gonna get free of this? And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that statement right there, that statement pulls in all that he has just talked about in Romans one, two, three, four, five, six, and into seven. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ the Lord and all that Jesus has done where he died for us. And he goes on to say in Romans chapter 8, 1, which isn't up there as part of this, but you cannot preach all of this without preaching into Romans 8. You just can't. Otherwise, it leaves us in defeat. And what does Paul say? If you've memorized Romans 8, 1, what does it say? Just quote with me. Here we go. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who... Christ Jesus. And some of you are like, wow, why does everybody know that verse? Because everybody's been in deep doo-doo who knows that verse. And everybody knows how sweet Romans 8.1 is. It's such a sweet verse. It is such a great verse. I am no longer under condemnation. And the reason we've memorized it is because we have been set free. It is one of the best verses in the Bible. I'm free? I don't have to be in this sin-confessed cycle the rest of my life. I can be free of it. Who delivers me? Jesus. Jesus. And what Paul writes here, and you see this throughout all the New Testament books, Jesus even teaches on this in Christ. Who will set me free, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. There is never, for now no condemnation in Jesus Christ. And this whole idea of being in Christ is really the answer to it all. You are in Christ. I am in Christ. All the frustration, all the tears of failure, all the shame that you and I carry with us, all of it can be gone. He died so that we could live And the Christian life is one where we spend the rest of our life understanding what it means to be in Christ, this new reality that Paul talks about. And here's the thing. The Bible's going to teach a lot about this thing, but this thing is only comes as we own this. And we come to Jesus and we say, I I don't understand this. Would you teach me? Jesus, I don't understand this. You say there's no condemnation in you. What does it mean to be in you, Jesus? I don't understand that. I want to be in you. Like, you say I'm justified. You say I'm sanctified. You say I'm set free from the law. I don't know what that means right now because all I seem to do is go out and step in it when I get out of this room. Why do I keep doing? Jesus, would you show me what it means to be in you? You say I'm your son. I don't feel like your son. It doesn't seem like I'm your son. Show me how I'm your son. You say I can have victory over the stuff that always gets me. I don't know how that happens. Show me. Teach me. And and what it requires, folks, and and I'm going to tell you, it is the hardest thing. It means that he has to be the number one priority. That all life stops. All life stops until you understand this. Everything stops. It is the only path out of that insanity. Of sin, confess. Sin, confess. Sin, confess. And so if you're distracted, if you're busy... If you're exhausted, if you're overcommitted, it stops. Everything stops until you get this. There's no higher priority. Look around who you're sitting by. If you're sitting next to your spouse, if you're sitting next to your child, if you're sitting next to mom or dad, if you're sitting next to a friend, you've got to look at them and say, Jesus is more important than you. Say it to them. They just say it right now. Jesus is more important to you. Sorry. Feeling the love. And some of you are like, I don't know. I don't know if I believe that and that's offensive. Is Jesus really the most important thing to you? And does your life reflect that? Not in terms of I can check this box off, but in terms of I am in Christ. Because this is such a hidden truth You won't be able to to write this out. Like you can come to church, you can keep all the moral law of God, or I check that box, I check this box, but it doesn't mean you're in Christ. It doesn't. We can all come here. You can even move front, like a lot of you moved front to make room for the back. And that's I'm going to ask God to bless you right now. That's a beautiful thing. But that doesn't mean you're in Christ. None of it does. We can do all the things that we're supposed to do, but that doesn't mean you're in Christ. And that's so frustrating. Did you do something this past week that you can't believe you did? Again? Did you do something or not do something this past week that you knew you should have done? How is this spiritual reality Paul talks about of thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, no condemnation in Christ. How are you doing in Christ? It's, it's everything Paul has written about, up to now, about what Jesus has accomplished for us. And then it means us slowing down and saying, I want this to be in the deepest part of me. That spiritual reality says in the deep." Bright, the inner man, the inner woman deep in my soul, like that is who I am. Jesus, make this who I am in you. I remember being at college trying to figure this out at Moody. I would go to person. I think I've shared that. I went, I was at this missions, I think it was a spiritual emphasis or missions week. And I remember going to like missionary after missionary. What does this mean? How do you do this? And and it was never satisfactory enough. It just never because and one guy says, there's no formula. Like, you can't get a formula for this. This is a relationship. You're gonna have to work this out, you and Christ. So there's no book you can read that is going to do this. This is you and Jesus. There's great books out there. They might help, but they can't do this work. And it means just, I don't know. It means just you stop, right? You you just sit down. And you go, I can't do it. I can't do it, Jesus. I can't do it. Not going to make another vow. Won't do that. Never works. Not going to promise that I'll do it again, Jesus. Or won't do it again. I can't do it. I need you in me. I just need you in me, Jesus. I need you in me. And it's these moments where you're still. I am still. And, and we're just going, I, no more grip. No more, it's just, I, I can't do it. I can't do it, I can't do it, and Jesus says, I can do it, I can stop all of it, and I can stop it not just now, but I can stop this the rest of your life. I can stop this and you can live with this this new spiritual reality. You can live this every day. It's yours. But you and I know to get to that point, a lot of stuff in our life has to get cut out. We know what this is like. This, this place right here is like, I don't care what gets dropped. I will do whatever it takes. I need Jesus. And at some point, Christ picks us up and he says, okay, start to add this. But I'm going to do it through you. And start to add this. And we don't stay there. He starts to teach us how to walk and to live until we take it over again. And then we're back. We're going to do communion this morning or take communion, celebrate communion, do is the wrong word, sorry. Invite those who are serving to come down and the worship team to come down. I can't think of, of a better way to just close this time and you just thank Jesus for dying for us if you're new to our church uh, or visiting we, we pass the bread and the cup out and then we take it at the end and the, there's no right away wrong way to do it the Bible doesn't talk about it, it just says hey make sure you remember and celebrate Uh, what i have done for you so hold off before you drink or eat until everybody's served and uh if you if you have faith in jesus and his blood and resurrection we'd love to have you be a part of this it doesn't matter where you call freshwater home or not and if you're sitting there going ah scott you don't know the week i've had and i don't deserve to take this um Jesus said, just confess your sins. Go ahead, guys. Just confess your sins. Just just tell Jesus, Lord, you know what I've done this week, and I'm sorry. It's and and let Him forgive you. Just receive forgiveness. You don't have to ask Him to forgive you. You just receive it. He says, if you confess, I'll forgive.